The NHL season is now complete as the Avalanche win the Stanley Cup against the two-time defending champion Lightning. Is this a team that could duplicate the success of Tampa Bay over the next couple of years? The fallout from draft night if you're a Knicks fan, and I've got lots to say about their front office. The Astros take over New York this weekend and into this week. How did they fare against the best team in the sport? Wimbledon begins today, and NFL training camp is how long from now? Closing out the month with the first of two podcasts to whet your sports appetite. It's all coming up, but first this message. What has happened to my good people? Thank you so much for passing by to listen to me wax poetic as I talk about anything and everything that's happening in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm on all available platforms. You can also go to the website at www.jreels.com for more information about yours truly, the podcast, archive shows, etc. All I want to do is increase the visibility of this podcast, so please throw me a few stars, write a review, It will go a long way into getting the word out. Even take a screenshot, send it to your friends, send it to me on social media. I'm more than happy, willing, able, and open to get your feedback on what it is that you enjoy most about the J Reels Podcast. So with that being said, let's hit it. The J Reels Podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it. He is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J Rules Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits as we embark on the final few days of June. Still plenty to dive into when it comes to what the sports world has to offer as this. Is the J Reels Podcast with your host, J Reels. For my first-timers, welcome aboard. And for those who've been banging with me, going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle, or even as early as this past Thursday, I welcome you guys and gals back. We have now entered that sports dead zone, which I'll get to in a moment. But even with the month getting to its final few precious days and the second half of 2022, if you can believe that, starting this coming Friday, there's still quite a bit to chew on, whether it's the NBA and the draft wasn't really that spectacular, wasn't really that thrilling, and we've seen that over the last few years when it comes to the NBA draft, but I have a take that not many people have spoken about. Yes, the Stephen A. Smiths of the world, and he's going to be a big theme when it comes to what I have to say about the Knicks, and in particular, their front office. So you definitely do not want to miss that if you're a die-in-the-wool NBA fan, basketball fan, or even a Knicks fan, more importantly. So you'll get my two cents on that as well as what's happening with the baseball. I know the Astros are here in New York over the next few days. They've been here since Wednesday night, and they played the Mets in Houston last Tuesday and Wednesday. And, of course, they'll play the Mets this coming Tuesday and Wednesday. So a big weekend with the Astros and Yankees and how they stack up against the best team in the sport, that being the Bronx Bombers. Wimbledon begins today, so I'll have a little preview on that. NFL training camps. Oh, Do I even want to start thinking about that? You know I don't. But you know I'll have to chime in when it comes to 
That and before I segue to the Stanley Cup Finals, we have now hit that point where the fall and winter sports are now over. We have baseball as pretty much the last sport standing from now until, let's say, late August because that's when college football will start to be a part of our consciousness. We know the NFL will be later next month and even into exhibition because you're going to have injuries, you're going to have quarterback controversies, I'm sure. But when it comes to games that actually matter and really ramping up the season, that's not going to take place until late August. And I understand that we have the golf the final major next month with the British Open, Wimbledon, which will kick off today. So we could sprinkle in a few big-time sporting events between now and the end of August, but this is pretty much going to be your sports dead zone. And understood, we have NBA, also NHL free agency upcoming, so that's going to percolate a little bit when the time comes, but that's going to last for a few days, maybe a week, and who knows what blockbuster trade rumor may come about, a la Kyrie Irving. But as we know right now, baseball is going to be the one sport that's going to garner all of our attention, all of our focus, more so once we get into July, past the 4th of July, and probably until late August. Because you have the All-Star Game, Home Run Derby if you're into that. In fact, the Home Run Derby actually is better than the All-Star Game if you think about it. But whether it's that, the trade deadline, and then everything else that you could Try to shake a stick at when we get through these summer months and hopefully they go by as slow as they can. But that's what we have with the Sports Dead Zone Part 2. Part 1, as we all know, is back in February after the Super Bowl and before March Madness. Or if you want to even say the baseball season, you could certainly argue that. But here we are. It's going to be a little bit quiet. Not to say that we're not going to chug along. You know I'm going to continue to produce these podcasts, so it doesn't matter. I will be here whether baseball is the only sport and all the other sports seem to go away or even if baseball starts to wane a little bit, which we know it won't, I will be here to get you through the summer and obviously pass this Sports Dead Zone Part 2. Also, before I begin, I do want to say that if you do hear a little bit of a hum in the background, unfortunately, it's out of my control. It's the air conditioning system where I'm sitting at and I have no control over that. So I know it may be a bit unnerving. And we all know audio is the key to this whole podcast universe because if it's off by just a little bit, I can understand people turning the other way or turning the cheek to say, "Uh uh-uh, I can't deal with this. So if you do hear that in the background, I know that my voice will supersede that, but I will try not to have as much dead air so that doesn't become, and I'm sure now that you hear me saying this, you're probably going to pay more attention to it. I just bring it up because as an apology to the listener, But hopefully after the next 10 to 15, 20 seconds that it will just be white noise, that you won't be able to detect it, and that I will come through loud and clear for your edification to bring you everything that's happening in sports. So with that being said, let's just cut right to it. And last night, we have a Stanley Cup winner, the Avalanche, who I'm sure faced a lot of pressure going into that game last night, knowing what happened in Game 5 as they had a chance to wrap up the championship in their building and they were unable to do so thanks to Andre Palat with his heroics. And he is a clutch player. He's the type of guy that you need on your team. He is not the sexiest player, far from being the best player on a team. But he is an intangible player, a winning player. And he was able to get the go-ahead goal with about six and a half minutes to go on Friday night. And the Lightning were able to stave off elimination to force it to a game six. And I know a lot of people yesterday were probably thinking that if the Lightning were to get this game, 
that they were to push this to a Game 7, which would have been tomorrow night in Denver, boy, everybody would have been shaking in their boots, especially in Denver or in the state of Colorado, to think that there's no way that the Avalanche will probably be able to overcome whatever may be hanging over their heads or certainly weighted on their shoulders to come away with a Stanley Cup victory based on what we've seen Tampa do here over the last couple of years. And as it was, Game 6 got off to a good start for the home team as Steven Stamkos, there he is again, the captain of the Lightning, getting that opening goal about three and a half minutes into the game. And then you wondered whether or not that this team was going to be able to, meaning the Avalanche, was going to be able to get that equalizer goal. Because if they would have gone down 2 nothing, and not to say that 2 nothing is 4 nothing or is an insurmountable lead, but they... But if the Lightning were to take a two-goal advantage at that point, or at any point, whether it be late in the first, second period, etc., that would have been interesting to pay attention to because who knows what the body language would have been. Who knows? Tampa would have been out in front to the point where they had the home crowd. They would get into defensive mode. Not to say that they would have sat on the lead, but then all the pressure would have been on Colorado to get that next goal, to know that if the game went 3-0... You can pretty much forget about it, pack your bags, go to Denver for Game 7. As it was, Nathan McKinnon, early in the second period, put that to rest with a goal that tied the game. And you knew at that point, if you're an Avalanche fan, that you could pretty much exhale a little bit because you didn't want to go down 2 nothing, and obviously deeper than that. And then later on in the period, Arturi Lekkanen, who hit a post earlier, which actually that would have added to the Avalanche goal-scoring total, but he was able to get... The go-ahead goal there in the midway point of the second period. And from that point on, it was tooth and nail, back and forth. You had to wonder if Colorado were to get that next goal to go up 3-1, would that seal the deal? Or if Tampa were to be able to get the equalizer, whether somewhere in that second period or even in the third. And as it was, there were no other goals to be scored for the rest of this hockey game. And as we got late in the game, those final precious few minutes where you had that scenario, the controversy going back to game four, where John Cooper did not like the way that game ended. He felt as if there were too many men on the ice. And who would have known that the Avalanche would have scored at that point? Because let's say, for instance, if Kazim did not score that goal at that point of the game, would anybody even talk about too many men on the ice? But as it was in pertaining to last night's game, where Gabriel Landeskog, as he tries to block a shot with about a minute and change to go, the skate blade came off of a skate where he literally had to be dragged to the bench by Nathan McKinnon. They had to avoid a too many men on the ice penalty at that point. Arguably, you probably could have called that there, but it wasn't. Could have given them an extra man advantage. But even with that, it still wasn't enough for Tampa to tie the game there before regulation. And when all three zeros went up on the clock, the Colorado Avalanche and all of Colorado was able to not only rejoice, but also exhale, knowing that they won their first Stanley Cup in 21 years, third in franchise history. And Tampa, which I'll get to in a minute, was unable to seal the deal and win their third straight Stanley Cup, which has not been done and still hasn't been done since the early Islander teams in the 1980s. And what could you say? Colorado did a magnificent job here. You got to give them all the credit in the world. All the demons have now been exercised. And for Nathan McKinnon, who had a tremendous playoff run, Gabriel Landeskog, the same. And those two guys, although they may be the 
blood and guts and even heart and soul, but the engine of this team right now belongs to Kale McCarr, the defenseman who, as I teased on my TikTok video, is pretty much has his bust ready for the Hockey Hall of Fame up in Toronto, Ontario. And understandably and rightfully so, he has a tremendous future ahead of him. He won the Smythe Trophy for MVP of the playoffs. And how could you argue that? The guy has been tremendous. He is an offensive player that we haven't seen for quite some time on the back line. All the comparisons that you hear, even going to Bobby Orr, which is all you need to know from what people have to say when it comes to the young defenseman. And if you haven't seen it in full display here throughout this postseason, then you haven't been watching. So congratulations to them. Even Darcy Kemper, who did a tremendous job there going back to game four. We understand game five, he did not have a great game. He gave up a bad goal there to Jan Ruda in that first period and wasn't really sharp, even though he did keep his team in the game. The Palat goal, you can't really argue that because that was a one-timer where he pretty much didn't even see it. But last night was able to stabilize the game and play well and bring the cup home to Colorado. And what more can you say about the organization other than could this be a team that could maybe even think about running it back next year and maybe even the year after that to try to form their own dynasty. Not to say that the Lightning had a dynasty, to say the least. You win back-to-back cups, that's tremendous, but we've seen a ton of teams do that. Obviously, the Penguins did it just five, six years ago, and were anybody calling them a dynasty? Absolutely not. You had to get at least that third one. But with the talent that the Avalanche have and the aforementioned names, when you have three big players like that, your defense, your two forwards. All right, maybe you need to get that rock-solid goalie in place. Understandably so. But this is a team that, would you argue whether or not they could be the front runners or even the favorites to win the Cup next year? Absolutely not. Dynasty, I'll pump the brakes. Let me see them win two and then go into the third year trying to win a third straight Stanley Cup similar to what this Tampa Bay Lightning team had to do. And then maybe we could discuss it. But... Do they have the makings of a potential dynasty? Without question. I don't think this is going to be a one-hit wonder. They don't have to worry about blowing two zero-series leads as they did last year to Vegas. They don't have to worry about having this dominant-type team in the regular season and then only to fall short. We talked about this even at the storylines at the very start of this postseason where we talked about how Florida and Colorado were the two teams that had dominant regular seasons how that would parlay into the postseason. We saw what it did to Florida in the second round getting swept by Tampa, but Colorado was able to, and I understand it wasn't really turbulent, with the two sweeps to Nashville and also Edmonton, sandwiched by the six-game series against the Blues, which they were in control. They had a 3-1 series lead, and even though they lost a bad game, number five at home, and they had to score in the final seconds to beat St. Louis in a game six. And mind you, They didn't really have to sweat too much in this series. Think about it. They won game one, close game, but they didn't trail as they won in overtime in their first game. 7-0 the second game, what more can you say? So they did lose 6-2 where they were down two games to one, and then they had a hard-fought overtime victory in game four. Yes, they did lose game five where maybe a little bit of pressure, and I'm not going to say doubt started to creep in, but you also had to wonder whether or not that they were going to have enough testicular and intestinal fortitude to win a game six to bring it back and hopefully clinch it there not even bring it back to Colorado because obviously if they by them winning 
They don't have to worry about having to defend home ice in a Game 7, which would have happened if Tampa would have won last night. But that wasn't the case. Congratulations go out to the Colorado Avalanche. Just a magnificent job. And yes, I'm sure they're going to be a tough out come next year this time. Obviously, we'll have to wait and see about that. As far as Tampa goes, they were valiant. And even though I could say my prediction back last June where I said they're not going to win the Cup next year, now I was half wrong with that because I didn't think they were going to make it to the Cup Final to begin with. Based on everything that has transpired, and when you think about it, here we are, it's June 27th, and when they won their first Cup, it was exactly 21 months ago. Because it was late September, right around the time when the NBA Finals were to begin. Remember, that was the bubble year. That was the extended playoff where we had both the NHL and the NBA in the bubble. And for the Tampa Bay Lightning to win a cup in late September 2020, quick turnaround to January to play a 56-game regular season, to then win a cup against Montreal, I believe the first week of July, and then to turn it around, play an 82-game season, go through three rounds where they had to win a seven-game series down 3-2 to to Toronto, a sweep of the Panthers, nine-day layoff to have a hard-fought six-game series where they were down 0-2 to the Rangers, and then to play an Avalanche team which was steamrolling through the Western Conference, and even though they were valiant, played hard, played tough, and even though they had a stinker there in Game 2, played like champions. Did they come out with the cup? Absolutely not. But give them all the credit in the world for fighting tooth and nail to the very end. It's not as if Colorado went in there yesterday and had a dominant 4 nothing or a 5-1 cakewalk type game where they pretty much threw up the white flag halfway through the game. And that's what you expect championship teams to do, even in a loss. And there isn't anything more that I could say about this team that's already been said. All the credit goes out in the world for winning 11 straight playoff series, almost getting to a seventh game. And yes, it's tough to finally lose your grip on a cup that you've had for the last two years. And not only that, but also lose it at home. But they just ran out of gas. But it's not as if the gas tank was empty halfway through the period or halfway through the series again. This was a team that really fought to the end. And yeah, I got nothing but respect and kudos to the Tampa Bay Lightning team, their organization, their coach, front office. I know Cooper with his comments. And yes, maybe he was trying to get in the officials' ears to maybe have an advantage going into a game five, knowing that they have to go on the road to stave off elimination. But all the credit in the world goes to them. And can we see this team coming back? I would think the pieces will still be in place. They'll have a whole summer to rest. They'll be able to regroup and I'm sure try to push this to get themselves back in this position next year. And if they do win three cups in four years, is that a dynasty? Well, let's discuss it then. But right now, I'm sure they're going to sleep all summer long knowing that they gave it all in a losing effort where Colorado, once again, is your Stanley Cup champion for 2022. And to round out the playoffs on a whole, I would have to give it a solid B. I could even give it a B-. And the only reason why I say that is because the last couple of rounds didn't really have a lot of drama. Yes, I get it that the Lightning came back from an 0-2 deficit. 
understood to make it thrilling. And obviously that game five in New York where it was tied 1-1. And then you had the Palat goal off of the deflection with about, what, a minute 50 to go. And they were able to steal a game five at the Garden before winning in a game six. But again, not a lot of drama. It wasn't pushed to a seventh game. Wasn't like the first round where you had five game sevens. And even in the second round where you had one game seven with the Rangers and Carolina Hurricanes, that wasn't really dramatic to say the least as the Rangers pretty much right out of the gate took control of the game and the Hurricanes were off into the summer as far as an early vacation goes. But the playoffs on a whole, the first round was magnificent. Second round, eh, not so much. The conference finals, when you have a sweep, of Colorado over Edmonton and yes you did get the six game series with the Lightning and Rangers but still overall eh and then here this cup final again when you have Colorado up 2 love and 3-1 and granted a little bit of drama going into the game last night alright I'll give that a B a lot better than the NBA I will say that but the NHL certainly could hang their hat on a very good or I'll say a solid postseason overall and I'll even give you a good Stanley Cup final. Minus game two, because you could throw that one in the garbage. But that is your NHL recap on a whole. So now as I take off my skates and put on my high tops to discuss what's happening in the NBA. And the draft, the one thing that I got out from this draft, or two things. One was that the Magic did not pick Jabari Smith, which a lot of people thought was going to be your consensus number one overall pick. That went to Paolo Banquero, the multi-talented forward from the Duke Blue Devils. And to me, I thought that that was even a better pick and maybe even a better fit for this team because he's a guy to go along with Jalen Suggs, to also go along with Cole Anthony, Franz Wagner. They're putting themselves a team that if everything clicks right, They could be a force in the Eastern Conference two, three years down the road. And what they did by bringing him in, and this is no disrespect to Jabari Smith, but he's a guy that has an NBA-ready body. He's played in big games. He has to work on his shooting a little bit, but he has good playmaking ability, very good passer, could break you down off the dribble. And to go along with the other guys that I mentioned on this team, now you have to have... Obviously, all them mesh and play together and be that fit for a young coach in Jamal Mosley. But hopefully, he'll be able to nurture these guys. He'll be able to develop. And there's going to be some tough games here over the course of the next couple of years. And it's probably going to be sad to say that Mosley's going to have a lot of talent that he's going to have to mold into a team that, on paper, could be a force. I know I said two to three years. But let's say five years from now, if they all stay together and we get it that they're going to want their money and they're probably going to have to not get themselves to a point where they're going to be over the luxury tax. But just as of right this second, he's going to be able to lay the foundation for this team. And chances are it's probably going to be for the next coach after that. Sad to say. But hopefully Mosley will be able to see this through, that he can have all these players that he'll be able to teach grow and get themselves to a point where they could be a factor in an Eastern Conference where we would think three to five years from now, who knows what the Nets are going to look like. Same with the Sixers. 
The Celtics, you would think they'll still be part of the mix. The Bulls, that could be a coin flip. The Bucks, you would think with Giannis, even though he'll be three or four years older, but will still be close to, if not at the peak of his powers, maybe starting to decline just a smidge. So Orlando has something here. So that's the first thing I take away from drafting a guy like Boncaro. And even though Smith, we understand what his size too, but a different game than what Boncaro brings. And that's why I liked Orlando selecting him number one overall. The other thing is the Detroit Pistons, not only bringing in Jaden Ivey, a guy who is a very good guard, not a good shooter, but he does all the other things. Can attack the basket, play a little defense to go along with Kate Cunningham. And then also bringing in Jalen Duran from a trade with Memphis where he played under Penny Hardaway. I think bringing in those two players to go along with Cunningham, although still a ways to go, but Detroit could be a team that maybe in the future three to five year window can be on the come up in the Eastern Conference to go along with all the other teams that I mentioned there and especially Orlando if everything breaks right. So... I get it, not really sexy when it comes to the draft when you talk about Detroit and Orlando, far from the heavyweights of the NBA, but those are the two things that I looked at here with this draft as far as the good side. Now, you know when it comes to the draft, I don't like getting into winners and losers because we have to see how this all shakes down over the course of the next two or three years. For all I know, Jabari Smith will end up being a bust or Boncaro doesn't get himself on track. There could be a disconnect with he and the team, he wants out. So all of that we don't know at this very moment. But when I take a look at this draft overall, and those are the two things that stick out on the plus side, the minus is what's taking place at One Penn Plaza, Midtown Manhattan, with the New York Knicks. Now we know the Knicks two years ago made it to the playoffs, 41-31, and where Tom Thibodeau finally was the one coach that was able to take this ragamuffin bunch led by Julius Randle, R.J. Barrett, etc. And they were able to play a first round against the Atlanta Hawks and they lost in five games. And I get it that every Nick fan in the tri-state area were jumping up and down. They were salivating at a thought of not only the Knicks being in the playoffs, but them even having home court advantage to where that if the series went deep, They would have a seventh game in their building as it was. They lost two home games and they were out in five. And then last year had a dismal season, did not play well, weren't able to piggyback off of the success that they had two years ago. And now it was pretty much ground zero for Nick organization to where, okay, 11th pick overall, who knows what they'll be able to draft. What they did was draft a kid that played, I believe in New Zealand by way of France by the name of Usman Dieng. And a lot of people thought that he could be a versatile player at 6'10", maybe even, dare I say, a Kevin Durant type. Now his hero is Paul George, and maybe that could be a better comparison. Now he doesn't have the length that George does, but he is long, lean, I guess has a similar game to Paul George. And I get that the Knicks fan, they're going to look at that when they see a player that has the place where he's from, being France, they're going to have visions of Frederick Weiss dancing in their head because if you remember, going back to the 99 draft, that's who the Knicks selected and he is most known for being posterized in the 2000 Olympics by Vince Carter. 
and obviously never played a minute in a Nick uniform or even in the NBA for that matter, as long as I know, because I don't even think he made it even onto an NBA roster or played in the NBA game even after that. So for the Nick fan to see that, and then they also traded Kemba Walker early in the day in a three-team deal, which was something that they had to do. Walker, unfortunately, his best days are behind him. He has this knee injury that maybe he could contribute to an NBA team that's on the rise, maybe with a little veteran presence, and maybe 15 to 18 minutes a game being a guy coming off the bench. But it's unfortunate the way his career has curtailed from the time in Charlotte where he was an NBA All-Star to him going to Boston, not playing well up there. Oh, I had his moments, but wasn't great. And then for him to be on the Knicks to a point where maybe he could resurrect his career coming from the Bronx, being back in the Big Apple, but that was unsuccessful. So it was a move that they had to do, rightfully and understandably so, in which they were able to get three protected first-round picks from all over the map by way of Denver, Washington, Detroit. And I get it that the Nick front office is trying to wheel and deal here to do what's best for their organization. But here's the problem that I have when it comes to the long-suffering Nick fan. And this is for you guys. This is to my guys Rob Rosado, Jimmy Coleman, Lee Davis. I'll even throw in my guy John Irving too. And any other Nick fan that I forgot, please forgive me. But this goes out to you guys because this front office who is led by Leon Rose, William Wesley, a.k.a. World Wide West, and Scott Perry, who I give credit to because he was a guy that was transparent and stood up to the media prior to this regime coming in. And he did all the right things by making the right moves. The Knicks, as we all know in the past, they were a type of team that tried to get the number one free agent. And if they weren't able to get it, a la LeBron, back in 2010, they got Amari Stoudemire. And for half a season, he was an MVP caliber player and then fell off the face of the earth. But for a Knicks franchise that was always making the bad move, always signing the wrong free agent, always trying to piecemeal it or play hero ball, dare I say, in the front office by just bringing in a big name and then fizzling out, The Knicks were trying to do it the right way. But once Leon Rose and World Wide West came into the picture, it has gone, to me, south, and here are the reasons why, and there are three in particular. One, what is the plan? What is happening here to the point where if you're a Knicks fan and you saw what happened there on draft night, not that you expected a ton, not that you expected a franchise player to walk into your door, but I'm sure you would like to know Missing the playoffs, like I mentioned, and on the heels of two years ago, having that success, what are we doing here? What is happening? What are we trying to build as far as to get back to a playoff and maybe even compete in an Eastern Conference with the aforementioned teams this past year that had success in that conference? And I understand that now with Rick Brunson being a part of the Nick Fabric and Jalen Brunson is right now the worst-kept secret here locally where it looks like they're trying to push all their chips to the middle of the table to bring Jalen Brunson in from Dallas. And yes, would that be a nice move? Absolutely. Is he worth four years and $120 million? Eh. This guy can't be your savior. He cannot be that quote-unquote face of the franchise when he was arguably their second-best player on the team in Dallas last year. And granted, he doesn't have a Luka Doncic that's going to be on his team here in New York that's going to pay dividends, you would think, 
on a consistent basis. Will he have his games? Yes. Will he be able to maybe have success here in New York to try to be the man? I would think so. But again, he is not a guy that is going to be worth the max money that is going to give you a consistent 25-5-5 and across the board, which is worthy of a $30 million a year type of contract. So that's number one. So what is this plan? Are you going to bring in Brunson? And then what else? Is Randall out the door? Or are you going to try to package those picks that you got and maybe bring in a superstar type player? Hopefully not an aging one, a la Russell Westbrook, which I'm sure they won't do. But again, what is the plan? Number one. Number two is the silence. I understand that they're making it top secret where if they're getting that from Jim Dolan, their boss, the head of the garden, not even just the Knicks, but the whole garden overall, why are they so silent to where they don't even want to relinquish or even have a press conference to say, we had a tough year, it sucks that we didn't make it to the postseason after what happened two years ago, but rest assured, we're going to come back with a vengeance and we're going to show that we mean business and we're going to get back to relevancy, we're going to build a playoff and even championship caliber team, just you wait and see. Why is this not being put out there in a press conference, in a smoke signal, or even in an old-fashioned Western Union telegram? And not for nothing. Leon Rose and World Wide West, no matter how much in secrecy you want to not reveal your plan or show your hand or say we're bigger than the sport or we're bigger than the fan base, You realize this is New York City. This is not Sacramento. This is not Portland. This is not Indiana. Do you even have a pulse of the environment that you work in, which includes a rabid fan base that has been starving for success, that has been starving for a title, and it's going on now 50 years? Come next year. This time next year will be the last time that the Knicks won a championship, the 72-73 season. What are you hiding? Let me start here. Why are you hiding? It's a disgrace to think that you can't even put out a press release to say what happened this past year or at least give an iota to the fan base a direction of what we're going to do this offseason to improve this team. This is why you have on national TV on two occasions... Not only on first take with Stephen A when he blasted the organization, and Stephen A knows what he's talking about when it comes not only to hoops, but to being a Knicks fan. And again, Leon Rose, World Wide West, I'm not going to put this so much on Scott Perry, I understand he's a GM, but for them to thumb their noses at the Knicks fan, and the two biggest ones, and I'll get to Spike in a second, but for Stephen A to come out on his show, which obviously a lot of people watch, and we all know the Knicks are not relevant to say the least, but for him to say, I will not step foot in the garden next year, what does that tell you? What does that say to you as a high executive on a team that is one of the original NBA teams going back to their inception in 1946-47? Of course, they don't care about that because they feel like they're bigger than basketball and that they understand and know what's going on. And listen, I am not an executive, far from it. But again, I take a pulse of this. I live in the city. I know what goes on. I speak to Nick fans. And not only that, I don't even need to speak to Nick fans to know that this front office, at least in the last year, 
has been an unmitigated disaster. So for Stephen A to come out on national TV, I'm not stepping foot in the garden next year, get a clue. And then the night of the draft to have Stephen A and Spike Lee literally get on their hands and knees to pray to the basketball gods above. And for Spike to say, Lord have mercy several times. What island are you guys on? Are you guys in a slumber just thinking that you're going to wake up one day and fix this team at the snap of a finger? It's almost as if they don't know, or maybe they're just, I won't go as far as saying afraid, because obviously I don't know what goes on in those offices or in their quote-unquote war rooms or anything like that. But I will say this, their silence is deafening. And you know what? Being in a city like this, where the Nick fan, like I said, they are in a desert without food or water. They are literally starving for just success, let alone a championship. And for you to not say anything to the fans who pay your salary, and let's face it, they need to know what's going on. And I don't want to hear, oh, well, they have no idea or they don't know how to run a basketball team. We know what it takes. We know what we're going to do. And of course, I'm paraphrasing, not that they've come out and even said any type of quotes like that, but please, if Stephen A. and Spike Lee are coming out on ESPN and for pretty much the whole world to see, imagine how the other Nick fans who have followed this team night in, night out, season in, season out, and are just disgusted, frustrated, aggravated to wonder what the hell's going on. And it all starts with that front office. These guys have no clue. And if you're Jim Dolan, and who knows, maybe he's the one that's facilitating all this. Guys, stay quiet. Don't say anything. Don't worry. We'll work behind the scenes. I'm with you 100%. I'll sign the checks. Just take care of what you got to take care of. And maybe they're abiding to that. We don't know. Because it's not as if Jim Dolan's in front of a microphone having a state of the union of his Nick franchise. But Leon Rose, World Wide West, come on guys, wake up. Because the longer you stay in silence, the more this fan base is going to pile on you. And even though you may not care, and even though you may be putting up your proverbial middle fingers at them, but the longer you do that, the longer you're not going to have a job. And I get it that Dolan is loyal to a fault, understood, but even he needs to sell this team because... It is rudderless to say the least that this organization, which has done nothing in the last two decades other than a minor run with Carmelo when they made it to a conference semifinal, and you want to even give the first round playoff exit to the Atlanta Hawks any credence? Okay, I'll give you that, although I won't. Since Patrick Ewing walked out of the door, this organization has done absolute squat. And it certainly doesn't look like it's going to get any better anytime soon. All right, so now let's go from my high tops to my cleats as we get into some baseball here. And as I've talked about on Thursday, and I'll start it off here, I got to give it up to the Astros because they did show me something here over the weekend. And even in the middle of last week, granted the Mets did not pitch any of their top pitchers. And what I mean by top pitchers, I'm not even talking about the Grom and Scherzer. I'm talking about Chris Bassett, Taiwan Walker, etc. And I understand that may not be saying much, but you get the drift. But for them to win those two games in Houston and then come to the Bronx 
and split a four-game series, which in essence, when you really think about it, they should have swept the Yankees. Because the Thursday night game where they had a 6-3 lead going into the bottom of the ninth, and the Yankees were scuffling, they hit the three-run home in the first inning, followed by what Alex Bregman, or excuse me, Jordan Alvarez, hit the three-run home to make it 6-3, so I got my home runs mixed up. But you had a scenario where Stanton hit a three-run homer, and that was all they got in the Thursday night game until the ninth inning, where at 6-3, Ryan Presley walks Stanton, then he walks Torres, and then gives up a three-run homer to Aaron Hicks before Aaron Judge becomes the hero and walks it off for the Yanks there in the opening game. And I thought, even with Verlander and Christian Javier, which I know a lot of people can't pick out of a lineup, but at least with Verlander, I thought that that was a game they absolutely had to have because... They had a shot to win the first two games at least, and then whatever you got for the rest of the weekend was going to be gravy if you're an Astro fan. But as it was, Friday night, Verlander, seven innings pitched, only gave up a home run to Stanton, where Kyle Tucker had a three-run homer in the sixth inning. Stanton answered at the bottom of the inning, but they were able to hang on the win 3-1 to one on Friday night. Saturday afternoon, the Yankees were combined, no hit by the aforementioned Javier, where he pitched seven innings, struck out 13, and Altuve hitting a home run, the old Yankee nemesis that he's been, and pretty much Cruz, 3-0 victory to win yesterday's game. The Yankees, who were no hit, I believe in total, for 16 and a third innings, because you had the game there on Friday night where they meekly went out into the night and lost that second game. Then they were no hit there on Saturday. They were no hit for six and a third innings yesterday afternoon, to where Stanton had to hit a home run, and they were up 3 nothing at the time, the Astros. Stanton then hit a home run to make it 3-1 with one out in the seventh inning. And then DJ LeMahieu, who, after his first two years as a Yankee, got his long-term deal, 6-for-90, which is a steal when you think about it, considering the production that he had in his first two years in a Yankee uniform. But since then, he has just been, let's call it as we see it, awful. Batted, what, 260, maybe 270 last year. And this year, he's batting 258. Now, granted, he came through clutch yesterday with a two-run homer in the eighth inning. I understand. But for the production that you got from LeMahieu in those first two years as a Yankee has not followed up with anything close to what he's done since then. So he ties the game. And then as it gets into extras, what happens? You knew that when Judge was going to come up there, bottom of the 10th, with the game tied, and he hits a home run into the left center field bullpen. 6-3, judged by far. No ifs, ands, buts, babies about it is your AL MVP. The guy who has won his arbitration there on Friday, $19 million. I believe he wanted $21 million, but he was able to get 19 He was offered 17 So with that little victory there, and for him to pull his team out of the fire yet again, and avoid losing the back three games of that series to where they were able to get a split, no harm, no foul, and for Judge to produce more heroics, and I don't know what the Yankees are going to do when it comes to his contract, and I talked about this with my father-in-law real brief last night, how the Yankees are going to have to fork over minimum eight years, and we're probably thinking $320 million. So that's $40 million a year. He may go want to go 10 years, who knows, but that's something we'll talk about down the road. I know people are going to say, Jay Reels, what? $320 million, eight years? No way. Well, as I mentioned back before the season started, he has pushed all of his chips to the middle of the table betting on himself, and guess what? 
he is coming back with that times 10. But I got to give it up to the Astros. They fought hard. They, like I said, could have swept. And to me, this series was more important for the Astros because we know the Yankees have been good. We know that the Yankees have been dominant. We know that the Yankees are going to be a team that is going to probably be there minimum ALCS when it's all said and done. And chances are it's going to be probably with this Astro team. And we understand that the Astros have beaten the Yankees in the postseason like a drum in the past. But we rarely see the Astros considering they play in the AL West and a lot of their games, they have to go to Oakland, they got to go to LA, Seattle. So we don't really get a full 30,000 foot view on them. But knowing that they played well this week against the Mets and obviously in this four-game series, it looks like they're going to mean business. And maybe for right now, psychologically, that they don't have to look at this team and be like, oh boy, we have no shot against this bomber team where they have just been a juggernaut here over the last two months. And now they play the Mets for two games before playing the Yankees Thursday night for a one-game series only because it's a makeup from the first week that was lost due to the lockout. So you're going to see a lot of the Astros here after a day off today. Mets-Yankees at City Field, or I should say Mets-Astros, excuse me, at City Field Tuesday, Wednesday afternoon, and then the Yankees there in Houston on Thursday. A couple of other things from baseball over the weekend. You had the return of Freddie Freeman to Atlanta, first time since he signed with the Dodgers, got his World Series ring. He didn't want to have it in L.A. when the Braves visited Los Angeles back in in April, he figured, no, let me try to revel in not only going back home, but also getting the ring in front of the fans that he had performed in front of for 12 years and been a part of that organization. And it was emotional to say the least, was choked up from the minute he walked into the door, had his press conference prior to the series there on Friday. And of course it was a love fest. We know that the Braves put out the video tribute for him and it was, I'm sure, A very tough weekend, spiritually, psychologically, mentally. We know that he was the heart and soul of that organization for a decade plus, and it must have been tough for him to go. We heard what Alex Anthopoulos, the GM of the Braves, said when he signed Matt Olson to replace Freddie Freeman, how it was a tough decision, they had to do it, blah, blah, blah. Olson was younger, et cetera, et cetera. But for Freeman to come back and to have his... I won't say homecoming because he's from the LA area, but to know that that's the area where he grew up and became a man and won a World Series last year, I'm sure it had to be difficult to know that he couldn't be a part of this team this year coming off of a World Series championship. But obviously the class by the organization and of course from Freeman himself and what was just a reunion that we rarely see in sports when it comes to a player and their longtime team Usually when a player goes back, it's usually because of booze. It's usually because of just greed or there was a falling out between player and the organization. But that wasn't the case this go around. And the Dodgers were able to get two out of three in Atlanta. Did the Mets a little bit of a favor there, especially yesterday with the Mets losing to the Marlins. Although they did win their series. They won the first two games in Miami. But they still keep their five-game lead over Atlanta. But uh, that was something that we take away from. If you're a baseball fan, and in particular one who follows Freddie Freeman, his career, and knowing what he meant to the Brave franchise for all that time, it was one to keep an eye on and one to behold for their former prodigal son. 
Bryce Harper gets hit on the left thumb by Blake Snell there Saturday night, out indefinitely, which is a big blow for a Philly team that's trying to get themselves back in the race. And they've played a lot better under Rob Thompson since Joe Girardi was fired about three weeks ago. And we all know that Harper's been your DH since April because of the partial tear in his UCL. Can't throw the baseball. So to have him out of the lineup, and he's produced very well, batting 315, 13 homers, certainly putting up his good offensive numbers. So to have him out of the lineup for, I would think, if it's indefinite and broken, you would think four to six weeks at minimum. For a Philly team that was at 1.8 under 500, now they're four over, but eight back in the division. I don't know what the wild card scenario is yet, and I'll get into the wild cards when we get to the All-Star break because to me it's a little bit early. I know once I get to next Monday, which will be the 4th of July, it'll pretty much be the halfway point for most teams, so we'll get a little lay of the land, even my over-under numbers. We'll have some fun with that. So the Phillies, although they're trying to make a push, to see what they could do in a wild card, but we'll dissect that in the weeks to come. Those are the other two big things. I know the Guardians got swept by the Red Sox over the weekend, and they lost that last game to Minnesota on Thursday to end their series. So they were once in first place in the middle of last week. Now they're two games back of the Twins. But funny as it is, only by percentage points, because when you look at these standings, the Guardians actually have six games in hand, if you could believe it, with the Twins. The Twins are 41-33, and 33, do the math, 74 games. Guardians, 36-32, and 32, 68 games. So even though they're two games behind in the division, but the Twins have more losses. So whatever weird scheduling quirks that we've had here, the Guardians still have plenty of games in hand. So even though it's two in the loss, but they still have a lot of games to make up. So we'll see how that unfolds. As we move along in this baseball season, Red Sox are rolling. They've won seven in a row. They face the Yankees about 10 days from now. Yes, July 7th. And they have a four-game series up at Fenway, which will be the first trip the Yankees will make up there this year. So those are games that we're going to pay attention to. Granted that the Yankees have a sizable lead, but with the Red Sox coming all the way back, think about this. They were 11-20. and Since then, they are 31-11. and So they have righted the ship with their, I'll say at best, average starting rotation and their bullpen. Alex Cora is working magic because their bullpen was tattered and torn those first 31 games of the year, but now they've really turned it around and it just shows you how good of a manager Alex Cora is as he has his team now in second place in the AL, 11 games over 500. And have done a stupendous job here over the course of the last six weeks or so. And other than that, that's what you have there. The Brewers now are in first place. The Cardinals were pretty much neck and neck. They split four games last week where the Brewers got that final game on Thursday. But they were able to now leapfrog the Cardinals and have a slim margin one game in the NL Central. And like I said earlier, baseball is going to be the focal point here over the course of the next month and change. Yes, we're going to get other things percolating with Wimbledon and with the golf next month and whatever happens in NBA and NHL free agency. Of course, all that to get into, but baseball will be your bulk when it comes to the sports talk here as we get you through the summer. Two other things before we say goodbye. One, Wimbledon begins today and 
with the All England Club, as we know, you're not going to see Daniil Medvedev with their ban on the Russian players with what's gone on there. I understand maybe a bit premature. I get it that the All England Club was trying to react forcefully and really put their foot down on the atrocity and what's going on there. Now, was it fair for Medvedev, a guy who is a top five player in the world, for him to not have a chance to participate in Wimbledon? You could definitely argue that. And the old England club, they're going to do what they do. They're similar to the guys at Augusta who run the Masters. So, of course, they're going to flex their muscles. They're going to kind of show who's boss. Do you agree with it? Absolutely not. And I understand they're trying to take a stand here. But be that as it may, you're not going to see Medvedev. When we look at the men's side, we know it's probably going to be Joker and Rafa when it's all said and done. We'll see what Carlos Alcaraz does here on this surface, which, as we all know, is grass. We think Alexander Zverev, Stefano Tsitsipas, those are guys that obviously are going to be main focal points as far as making a deep run here at Wimbledon. But I would think when it's all said and done and we don't have to worry about Djokovic going up against Rafael Nadal in a quarterfinal, they're at opposite ends of the draw. So if they were to meet up, it's going to be at a final. I would think Djokovic is going to be chomping at the bit here, knowing that A, he lost to Nadal at Roland Garros at the French, did not participate in the Australian for the reasons we've talked about ad infinitum with the vaccine. So with Jokovic ready to go and also Nadal, who has won the first two legs of the Grand Slam, I would not be surprised if the collision course is going to end up with those two at center court there the Sunday, two weeks from yesterday, for a Wimbledon championship. Could another player upset that apple cart? Of course. Absolutely. It's all going to be on the dial, though, because we know he has these nagging injuries, the foot injury in particular. Obviously, the surface, we know it's a little bit bouncy. The clay, he could slide all over the place, which is his surface, as we all know. But that's something we have to monitor as far as his health. If he has these long matches, especially when he gets deeper into this week and into the early part of next week, if he has a lot of five setters, if he has these four and a half, five hour marathons, what that's going to do to his body, maybe even a little bit to his psyche. If he does face Djokovic in a final, that's something we have to keep an eye on. But I think it's going to come down between those two when it's all said and done. And then on the women's side, Iga Swantek, who won the French, you would think that she's going to have the odds-on favorite to win the women's side of the draw, where Coco Goff, who had that great run to the French Open final against Swantek, We'll see if she could be able to duplicate that or come close to having a deep run here in this tournament. The Angelique Kerbers of the world, even Naomi Osaka, who I believe is going to participate. That's something I should have checked on prior to. We're also going to have a Serena Williams sighting, which will be great. How much she has in the tank, I don't know. She hasn't really played in the year. She was at Wimbledon playing doubles as early as last week. Maybe as a tune-up to get herself ready for this tournament, but again... What does she have at 40 years old? We shall see. Madison Keys, who's another big player on the circuit, she's going to be out with an ab injury. So, to me, it's going to be Schwantek as a right to second. Again, if Osaka's going to have a run in her, we shall wait and see. Kerber, Goff, the Petra Kvitovas of the world, who knows? But I would think Schwantek, with the way she's performed, she's won 35 straight matches, so she's on a roll I can't see her unless, for whatever the reason, 
she happens to be a little bit too big for her britches at this moment where she's reading a lot of the press clippings and all of the success that she has that she falters here in an opening round or gets picked off here early. Remains to be seen, but we will certainly keep an eye on Wimbledon here as we get to the third Grand Slam of this calendar year. And then finally, to think that now we are less NFL fans than a month away from training camp. Most teams will have report or reported by July 26th. The Raiders are actually going to report July 20th out in Las Vegas. And when I think about this time of year, of course, with both the NBA and NHL finishing their seasons, and yes, we talk about baseball, but you know the NFL fan out there is thinking, wait a minute, training camp is now less than a month away. Is yours truly, this guy, ready for some football? If you've listened to the podcast before, you know what my answer is going to be. And if this is your first time or you're recently on board with the J Reels podcast, I'm going to tell you right now, that is a resounding hell to the no. And why you may ask, J Reels, come on, it's football, it's the NFL. Everybody gears up for the National Football League. Summer's just begun. Why would I want to think about the fall? Why would I want to think about September? Why would I even want to think about the middle of a football season as we get to the holidays, Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, etc. Uh-uh, that is the furthest thing from my mind. The season's number one. But number two, just the thought of football right now might as well be on the planet Pluto because that's where my consciousness is when it comes to the gridiron. I don't even want to know about it. I don't even want to think about it. Because yes, you may be anticipating Whichever team you root for about your number one draft pick, about the quarterback that you selected, about the franchise player or the offseason that your team has had as hope will spring eternal for your football team, knowing that a team like the Bengals made it to a Super Bowl. Hey, maybe if I'm a Detroit Lions or maybe I won't even go Cleveland Browns. We all know they have their luggage and baggage that they have to deal with. But maybe if you're a team that's on the come up, that's looking to take that leap maybe into the playoffs or dare I even say to a Super Bowl, okay, fine. This guy, uh uh-uh. I can't even entertain the thought. The NFL gets all the shine as it is to begin with when it comes to the sports world, so I could definitely wait until the season, let alone training camp, commences. Yes, come week one, the Thursday night game, not so much. Yeah, I'll peek at it, I'll watch, whatever. Of course, I'm going to follow it. But when that first Sunday in the NFL begins, I'm there. But right now, to even think that a month away train... No, 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 no. Give me all these summer cocktails. Give me all the sunshine. Give me all the sand, surf, and whatever entails summer. I want all that smoke. The football, the pumpkin lattes, the sweaters, the hoodies. Uh Uh-uh, you could keep all that. So... That's number one. And then the other thing is, I know the big news, Arch Manning, who is the son of Cooper Manning, and you wonder, Cooper, who's that? Yes, he is the brother of, of course, the famed Peyton and Eli Manning. So their nephew, Arch Manning, committed to Texas. I know that was big news late last week, and that's all the pub I'm going to give. I've never seen the kid play. We understand the pedigree. We understand the family tree now is going to be handed over to Arch Manning. And we'll wait and see how his Texas tenure down for the Longhorns will be 
But I just thought to throw that in there before I say goodbye. And with that being said, last week I didn't have a hero or zero of the week. And this week I do not have one either. I'm kind of going away from that and I want to get your input. So hit me up on any of my social media accounts. TikTok, the J Reels Podcast. Instagram, J Reels or the J Reels Podcast. Twitter, J Reels 1, just a number. Facebook, the J Reels Podcast fan page. And if you even want to send me an email, you could do that too. The J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. Hit me up. Let me know if you like the Hero Zero of the Week. For those who are listening for the first time or just getting familiar with me, yes, every week I had a Hero and Zero. I put it to rest last week only because I was on the road the week prior, so I didn't really do my homework to find out who was my Hero and Zero of the Week. And this week, I just kind of let it be. Just, eh, you know, was a little laissez-faire with it, but I may bring it back. I'll post it also on my social media to kind of get a an account to see what people think about it. But as of right now, I'm putting it on the shelf with a little hiatus. It may come back, but as it is right now, as it stands, I'm not going to have a hero or zero of the week. And with that being said, that will wrap up. I appreciate each and every one of you, whether it's your first time, fourth time, tenth time, a hundredth time, or going back to the very beginning. I do not take your participation for granted. I know that there are plenty of other outlets, sources that you can get your sports from a lot more credible people than I am. I always say credible because... As you well know, I always come correct, direct, and in full effect on everything that's happening in sports. But let's say more of a household name, more reputable. I don't want to disparage myself or be self-deprecating in that regard because this is why I love to do people, as I'll share in a minute. But if you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on wherever you get your podcasts. Throw me a few stars, write a review. I would greatly appreciate it. It will go a long way as far as increasing the visibility to those who are not familiar or don't know who the J Reels podcast is. So if you could do that, I would greatly appreciate it. And of course, hit me up with any questions, comments, criticism, praise, suggestions on those aforementioned social media accounts. And then finally, or the email address, of course. And finally, if you want to contribute to this endeavor, you could do so by going to www.patreon.com slash the J Reels podcast. That's P as in Paul, A-T as in Tom, R-E-O-N as in Nancy. Whatever you want to put forth, once this platform builds... I will have exclusive content just for my Patreon subscribers. Whatever you want to put forth, I would greatly and humbly appreciate your contribution because it will go strictly to this endeavor, to the upkeep of the website, this production, the equipment, anything and everything that entails me coming through your earbuds or speakers. And now that I think about it, the background noise or the white noise from the air conditioner went off a little while ago. So you know that I want to make sure that you could have this experience to come back twice a week, every Monday and Thursday, because whether you do or do not know, this is what I love to do, people. Sports is my life. It's in my blood. It's unfortunately a mistress to my darling wife because I've been doing this since birth. To dissect, to analyze, to share my thoughts, opinions, analysis, critiques, praise on anything and everything. That happens on the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, the Southeast, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels podcast, on the flip, baby.